0: To be back, I um, raise your hand if you can't hear what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> it's
0: nice to be back and shouting my dharma again. <laughs> I um, just spent uh, the last 12 days or something uh, in the east, and I want to tell you that never complain about this weather. <laughs> the last uh, weekend I was in New York City and we the the place where we were having our non-residential retreat was literally one block from uh, ground zero. And because we're almost a year out from September 11th and because it was so close to The retreats facility, it was hard not to be consumed by that all over again. And many of the New Yorkers have gone through 11 months of that. And I don't think they really wanted another retreat in which that theme came up. But, I mean, you walk out the door and you see it. And it was a very interesting um, place to have a retreat. It's interesting also, I... um, I was a tourist for a moment and I went and just visited it and it is a tourist site now. Just hundreds if not thousands of people pouring in there. It's a very narrow walkway and people are jostling and and it's a little bit... Well, I don't know. I'll just tell you what I saw and you, you could put your own attitude upon it but there are people sort of standing up Posing themselves in front of this h- crater, as if they were at Mount St. Helens or something, and it just felt desecrated somehow. I'm not sure that's the right word, but it it somehow. I don't know. And also, um, I just remember standing there, looking, sort of waiting my turn to get up to the fence to be able to see and. People were, were kind of, as people do, trying to, you know, nudge you out of the way so they can get in first. And it, it felt like we were watching the seeds of the problem which created the crater <laughs> being stirred in with all of this um, angst. and. So I want to talk tonight, um, not so much going back 11 months, But to use that as a frame of reference, perhaps the diving board for what I want to speak tonight about, which is the crucial juncture at which we make a decision to either move in relationship to a self-indulgent way of life, or we move... In in opposition to that, into self-kindness. And I picked those words very deliberately because they are in opposition. Many of us think that self-indulgence is self-kindness, and that I'll just be kind to myself and stay in bed another hour. But that's not how I want to define it this evening. And I think it's crucial because the perennial question that comes on everyone's lips who sincerely undertakes this practice is how to make it work in your life. And unless we understand where the division is, where the juncture point is, and what occurs at that referencing, that moment, that crucial decision in which we decide to move into one arena as opposed to another, we really never come to a satisfactory answer of how to use meditation in your life because you'll keep hitting that juncture. And as we all know, quickly, the thought and purpose of using the hour for meditation wanes to washing or doing the dishes or doing something that needs to be done and the in order to never bears any fruit and so the energy gets dissipated and then it's 11 o'clock 12 o'clock and oh my god I have to get to work or something and somehow The original intention was never served. Or am I saying things to people who don't know that place? I don't think so. We all do that. So what, what is that about? Someone once said, laziness is sadness of the spirit, lethargy of the soul. And it's um, interesting. I I often see uh, on retreats and how much we have inoculated ourselves against any real feelings or difficulties in life, and cushioned or attempted to cushion ourselves into the realm of. of being soothed. I mean, sometimes people's real hard intention in coming to meditation, and perhaps we all start there, is to be soothed, is to be comforted. And we even talk about what we would like to get out of meditation in terms of that soothing quality, peace and quiet and tranquility and rest. And sometimes it's like a getting away from, you know, so give me some more respite time. But it's not usually spoken about in terms of vitality and aliveness, which is the real art and purpose of meditation. Yes, it does give us those qualities that allow us a more steady and less turbulent existence There's no question. But to move after those qualities becomes a form of self-indulgence or can become a form of self-indulgence because those qualities when used with wise purpose, wise intention, do not foster an indulgent personality. They foster a sense of vitality, of aliveness, of crispness. Like a fresh head of
1: lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> Just the
0: image that came in. <laughs> and as I was speaking in New York City yeah, um... I could see that some people just didn't want to go back to that story. Eleven months ago. And I could certainly understand that. But afterwards, they thanked me. Because they said that although there's pain in bringing all that up again, they saw that it wasn't finished. And they saw that much of their lives since that time had been to try to get on with things over things really and get back some degree of normalcy so that they wouldn't have to feel those feelings much like we do when we grieve or when we hurt in some other fashion that's uncomfortable for us and if we bring back see I like this because it allows if we bring back the point when the devastation occurred and again I just use this as a springboard I'm not going to spend my whole time talking about September 11th but it's a beautiful springboard to to remind us what it means to be self-indulgent as opposed to really on the cusp of our learning. You remember and the New Yorkers have countless stories of genuine altruism that occurred in those first few days after that attack and how the community came together and how Ethnic groups who would never speak to one another were mingling and commingling with ease, and laughter, and support. And how, because the pain was so um, intense, there was no they couldn't ex- they couldn't put anything in to block it. I mean, how do you block? the loss of 4,000 lives. And so you can't block that. You can't say... Um, you can't immediately reference a way out of it. Much in the same way as you can't reference immediately a way out of a dramatic loss for you. Loss of a parent, loss of a spouse, loss of a child. And there's this gap, this space that opens there before we fill it with vengeance, before we fill it with finger pointing or rationale or defensiveness, before we fill it with justification, explanations and anger, there's a moment in which nothing, you cannot fill it. Right? I mean, we have we had that? you ever had a loss so devastating that there's nothing that comes in? Try as we would like to have something come in because nothing that comes in can take away or can pretend to cover over the devastation. I had a friend who spoke about such an occurrence. She was a, she's a, uh, was a mother of a young teenage girl, 13 years old. And the teenage girl was a, was in sailing races and she went out to practice sailing on a Saturday. She didn't come home. And, uh, she it was getting into the evening and uh, she still didn't come home and she was many hours late and she got a call from the police department to come down. They think they found the body of her daughter. And so she goes down and they, at the moment that they pull back the sheet from the cadaver and in fact the face of the person lying there was her daughter. At the moment of that recognition she said she lost all ground. And what she said after that was, she said, she knew God, were her words, in a way that she never did. And then she said, I tried to look for an answer or an excuse or someone to pin it on, but it was no one's fault. And it was because it was no one's fault, and I couldn't. Move from that devastation that I went as deeply into it as I could as I did and so too in New York people had their lives carved out around that time and it was days before something could eventually cover over that hurt and what happened many of them said was that the hurt was made them so vulnerable, so raw, so exposed, and in that exposure there's no covering, there's no way to feel empowered. There's no way to there's no way to to form ourselves around that gap because the gap doesn't have any rub. it just is a hole and it's just a free fall. And without some justification, something to resist against, something to to extend my finger in a pointing and accusing way, I just leave there's just this hole. And so, we explored the flinch, the moment at which not just New Yorkers, but the whole country moved from that nothingness of devastation to patriotism, really, and vengeance around patriotism. Because then you have... You have something to empower you. You have some, th- some way to be defined. You have something to, to form and mater- materialize around. Hmm? And then it becomes self-indulgent, really. Because at the pain, we either hold it and allow it to burn and then we, or we move. In that juncture between where we are in pain and the movement from it determines the course of self-indulgence. And we can bring all our lives into that juncture point, into that flinch, into that moment of... And many of us have led our lives flinching continuously. And so as we learn how to flinch more and more convincingly to ourselves, the duller we become. And sometimes our eyes are so dulled over by the continual movement from the pain. That our soul has, our spirit has been drained of its aliveness. And it's often hard to reach anyone back in there like that. I had a hospice uh, patient who lost her husband or was losing her husband at the same time that she was getting diagnosed with end stage lymphoma. And I'd been involved with her as a caregiver for her husband. And right before her husband died, uh, she was then told about her own prognosis. And I went to the hospital to see her. And I couldn't reach her. It was as if she had removed her life from her mind. And her eyes were just were just um, fogged over. And I said to her, you know, I have no way of reaching you. I, I feel like I can't reach you. I feel like there's no, nothing I can say so that we can meet. And I said, well, what, what in the world gives you any purpose anymore? I mean, why, with all of this devastation in front of you, what allows you any sense of meaning? And she said, the only things that allow meaning for me is my daughter and my religion i said jane you've been your shelf has been cleared of everything that's trivial and what you is what is beating or what can beat for you is what you just said your spiritual growth and the love for your family but you have to come out and meet that with aliveness or it too will be fogged over. And she never really did. She never really did. But I want us to think about our own life and in in being fogged over. You know, it's it's not the dramas of September 11th. It's the little things, the continual ways we fog over, the continual ways that we cash in from the pain of the actual situation into a way that we retreat but that's not meant in terms of meditation retreat. It's meant in terms of the opposite of advancing. And how that retreat, we build a life that is full of some kind of stimulation in which we can prop up our aliveness with. Some level of comfort that we can rest upon, that we can and when we do have a meditation retreat and people come to it, literally, and, and their lives are um, are the, the usual stimulation and intensity is eliminated. They don't. Many of them of us do not know what to do. We're lost without that. In fact restlessness, boredom all of the qualities of mind that have encouraged that need for more and more comfort and just something to just give me a birth of soothing just give me a warm bath of life that one, you know that one? yeah we all know that one Give me the warm bath. Enough of this. I'm too tired. And it's as if we just have run the gauntlet of our years, and the bruises have just taken such a toll that all we just we just want to, you know, just that's what we really mean when we say I want to (laughs) retire. And it's at the sake of our aliveness. It's at the sake of our vitality. And so many people come to meditation to find a way to make their, a thicker cotton mattress. So that we don't... So September 11th never has to get in there. And that loss will be, if anything, it will just be, you know, something that I... And then I get back to doing what I need to do. And anything to avoid deeper truths that the pain will show us. You know, when we're sitting and we're on our breath, And we just allow the thought just to carry us even though we know we're thinking. And we know the rule book of meditation. (laughs) uh, You know, it's it's just... It's more fun. This is more fun. And then the justification. Well, What good is it anyway to follow your breath? What does that have... You know, it's just... Here, I, here in this area, on this terrain, I can conjure up anything I want. Last year's vacation is a beck and calling. My great love affairs of life, right there. How can the breath match that?
1: <laughs>
0: and the way, you can feel the waves, right? The, the, the waves of sleep, the waves of fatigue, the waves of intensity. So why do we come back to the breath? Because there's a juncture there. And we've made a decision not to sometimes. Why come back? Why do that? Because to come back, it's boring. I'm restless. Here it's not boring. Here it's entertaining. Why come back? Unless we answer that question for ourselves, I'm not going to give you the answer. (laughs) See what the quality is like in that. See what the quality of your aliveness is like in that. And see what the quality of aliveness is like when you know you're alive. When you know what's happening. When you know what's occurring. Just notice the difference, the distinction between those two And I can often, it's very interesting because we can often, um, the lethargy of spirit has its own influences like rings. Not just on my life, but other people's lives as well. In the same way that our aliveness has its own effect. But when we have made a decision just to drift, that has implications for wider and wider spheres of people we touch I'll just give you a very quick example of that (laughs) not a very good one but it's when I was a monk uh, we have two robes and the robes are uh, pretty thick they're like a a light quilt they're they're very thick and very big like a king-size blanket so you didn't, I didn't particularly like to wash them because it, you, you had to go through this whole, first you had to find a bucket big enough, then you had to heat it and you had to make a fire. You just didn't, in Thailand, you just didn't put it on the stove. You had to make a fire. And then you, it took all day. And then because the climate was so humid and so uh, um, just humid, nothing ever dried out anyway. So you were a week with a wet robe. <laughs> so I didn't wash it very often. Cause I was lazy. And I noticed that on alms round the other monks would start falling further and further back. <laughs> and they started calling me um, Maha Mahakasapa. And Mahakasapa was the leading ascetic monk of the Buddha's time um, and a, 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 ascetic in the sense that he would not bathe
1: <laughs>
0: but I didn't smell it
1: <laughs>
0: but that. but what, when uh, one of the more senior monks suggested <laughs> I'm not a dirty person honestly but it just was so hard to wash those brooms. Um, so you, then you take responsibility. You start taking responsibility. Okay, you know, I drifted there. There was a drift. There was a, um, I went to sleep. I just didn't respect how my laziness, my um, lethargy of spirit affected people and you just take you start we start taking responsibility for the juncture for the flinch because the flinch is really the flinch between the sacred and the profane it's the meeting of that and the mind brings forth It's objections in the form of boredom and restlessness and sleepiness and other things which will dull you when you make an intention to move towards aliveness. The defense of the mind is to say what good is the breath. The defense of the mind says you have more important things to do than to be on this thing. Think of all the things you could do. Because the juncture spells destruction for life as we have known it to be. And so to follow the course of something really new, which is what we're talking about when we talk about stepping out of this juncture, shakes everything. And so of course the mind going to come up with defenses. Of course it's going to object to that. And it's usually strong enough defenses so that it gets us back to where it wants us to be, which is back sleeping. Then you're not bored. know, you just have to have more intensity. You may feel bored, but you just raise the volume of the intensity. Get the video. See the new movie. Have a latte. Whatever we need to do, to counter any sense that our life isn't meaningful, even though we know it's not from that vantage point of thought. It isn't meaningful. And I don't care what you do. You could be a psychiatrist, a doctor, a lawyer, Indian chief, or brave. It's not meaningful. And not only that, but when you visit ground zero, you see what it does. And the whole history of humankind exposes the flaw of choosing the left branch as opposed to the right. But somehow we don't see it. I don't know. I don't know. We're so what I'm doing this week is when I let go of thought I'm coming back to ground zero and I'm holding ground zero because it was a very impactual reference to this point of indulgence or kindness because kindness ultimately is towards our aliveness it has to be not only do we feel it in terms of kindness, true kindness, but it's the only thing that's really ultimately beneficial. And what we do in meditation and Vipassana in the beginning is to kind of conjure up a mixture of of pretentious kindness fabricated and unfabricated kindness let's call it that fabricated kindness is when I use thought to give me some expression and orientation to what kindness is like metta that's fabricated it's not wrong or bad it gets the heart moving in the intentional direction of where it needs to go and it uses thought which has been its beck and calling and has been its food and nourishment to do that to stimulate that direction that meaning that focus that worth but at some point kindness is not based on words it's based on leaving ourselves alone wordless Without word. So there's no prop of experience that fosters our kindness. There's no memory. There's no image. There's the gap when everything has been taken away. That is ultimately the resting place of kindness, real kindness. Because there, in that wordless, Stillness in that vulnerability when before we point and accuse, because that's taking the other juncture, that we are fully alive. Isn't that interesting? And you could see it. You could see the manifestation of a day or two days or however long it lasted. What aliveness meant in terms of community and communion. The true word of communion. Of taking the blood of Christ or Buddha or whomever. The true meaning But the irritating fact of our vulnerability to who I have always been is just unacceptable. And so to empower myself, I have an object of my... Hate, in which I place the pain, which I can no longer hold, at the juncture of place. At that place of juncture, there's pain there. And I take that pain and I project it out, and I say to them, "They did it, of course." And then I've lost my vulnerability, of course, because I'm no longer vulnerable when I have an object of disgust, an object of dislike and then wrath and anger and we do it every day countless ways either externally i was sitting by a woman on the plane today and she had a cold and she just coughed and and i, I <coughs> I don't know if I, I i was being polite, so I didn't say anything, and I was just okay, just get me off of hearing. but it was just it was just one of the hardest things because of the the feeling you know your the vulnerability of of the situation of being exposed to you know this is not what I wanted i did why don't you use proper high... You know, I could just give her this whole lecture. (laughs) But it wasn't appropriate for me to do that. It just wasn't. Now, sometimes it might be, but it wasn't in this particular case. And yet, uh, I could see the juncture. You know, I couldn't hold that sense of being exposed to it. And we're exposed to... This case, it's germs. But noise or heat or humidity if you're in other parts of the country I mean it's constant it's, it's the constant juncture the constant flinching that determines our life the constant flinching And we see that the flinching can go on externally or can go on internally. I can be as much of the object of my abuse as you can. And that's still flinching. That's just finding a culprit internally. And that's usually the direction we go. And so we carry the scars of all that. We carry the scars of all that. Heavy scar tissue. So what are we to do? If self-negation or lashing out isn't the answer and self-affirmation is just the other extreme really I mean we, we build intentionally we build self-acceptance but that is another conditioned phenomena it's not as if we want to that's the end product just being self-accepting and now we can all go home It's to live without conditions, to live independent of conditions, independent of any experience, independent of any appearance, independent of conditions. And so I can't turn to that and I can't turn this way. And you know what I face when I don't turn either way? Ground zero. And we just walk from one crater to the next. that's faith which is a lead in next week for Sharon's talk (laughs) but that's faith for each step is taken without assurance each step is taken without dependency because the way of the heart Cannot be graphed cannot be plotted or strategized, and so we're just let, we're left like that. We're left like that, and any, is it any wonder that we seek refuge from that? Because that means nothing of any significance to us when our life has just been about ease and comfort. And yet when we sit down on the pillow that's the direction we're taking. Not towards respite care but towards vitality. Being alive and the richness of what that aliveness means. Not just to us but to all the concentric circles to which that life touches. Can we sit for a minute or two?
1: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.